Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 2 Samuel and 2 Samuel in chapter number 7. 2 Samuel and chapter number 7. We're continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom. And we've already hit a couple different sections already in our series that we went ahead and hit some terms and defined what we meant and described a little bit about how do we get a proper interpretation of prophetical things. Then we took some time to walk up the timeline of all the things leading to the Millennial Kingdom. And now we're in a section where we're starting to hit some of the nuts and bolts, starting to hit the specifics of it, including a little time that we're still talking about the framework and speaking about what is the purpose of the millennial kingdom. And when we understand the purpose, then we understand our role within it. And part of the framework, part of the understanding of the purpose of the millennial kingdom is to understand that the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. Now, if the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of the promises to the Hebrew people, then we have to understand what are the promises to the Hebrew people. And we understand that in the Old Testament, God gave four covenants, four covenants given to the Hebrew people that further explain the purpose of God in the millennial kingdom that needs to be accomplished. And that we start it with the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is what all the rest of the covenants are built off of, but basically it promises that there will be a people forever. And remember that the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of promises to the Hebrew people, to physical, literal Israel, not a replacement Israel, but to the people that God had set apart to be a people unto himself. Then we hit the Palestinian or the land covenant that God had promised them the land. And remember that at no time has people ever possessed all of the land that God had promised them. In fact, in the promises of the land that God said that the people are going to be scattered and they're going to have to be regathered. The Hebrew people have never been regathered into one place since they had been scattered from the divided kingdom onward. And the millennial kingdom is going to be the fulfillment of that future event of God regathering the people into the land and allowing them to possess that land. We know we now reach a third covenant, which is going to be very vital for us to understand the millennial kingdom. And we find this in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 7. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 7. And if you don't mind, let's look together in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And let's look through this together if you don't mind. The book of 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Sorry, the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1. And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all of his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but 
the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And all the places wherein I have walked with the children of Israel spake I a word of any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? Now therefore, so shall thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou went, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy day shall be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he shall commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went in King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me here to? And this was yet a small thing in thy sake. Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more to, unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God. For there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all all that we have heard with our ears. And what nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people. From thou redeemest thee from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself, thy people Israel, to be a people unto thee forever. 
and thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant, concerning his house, to establish it forever, and do as thou said. Let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee a house. Therefore hast thou servant, thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, Lord God, thou art that God, and thy promises or words be true, that thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore, let it now please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 7? The book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and notice with me in verse number 16, where it says, Thy kingdom shall be established forever. Thy kingdom shall be established forever. And with this, we're going to hit what is commonly called the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant covenant. And with the Lord's help, we want to explain the Davidic covenant and then see how it applies to the millennial kingdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you for being a wonderful God who loves us so very much. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would open up your word in a special way. Help us to have wisdom and discernment to be able to see not only your promise and then how it affects world events, but how it affects the millennial kingdom that we can also discern your purpose and your plan. Help us to apply this properly and respond to you properly as well. Thank you for being a wonderful God, a great God, and a loving God that we could trust you. Once again, just fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you would get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start off, the very first thing I want to bring to your attention to as we hit the context is the prompting of the Davidic covenant. The prompting. Basically, what is the setting? What, what caused this Davidic covenant to come to pass? Now, David has now been established to be king. And he has gotten some peace. He's firmly king in Jerusalem. Things are going well. And so he decides he's going to have a dinner with the preacher, whether his uh, biblical influences. By the way, it's interesting that even though David is a king, he always referred and used his preacher for information. He used his preacher to help guide him. And he had a good fellowship. And so him and David are just kicking back. They're relaxing. They probably have some fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. And they're just having a good time of fellowship. And they're just talking about how great things are. And in the middle of the conversation, as they're eating together, David says, you know what? You know what would be really nice? I, I live in a nice house. And I was thinking, why shouldn't God have a nice house? I meant God's tabernacle is out there. We know that the Ark of the Covenant, now remember, God <laughs> doesn't dwell in a piece of furniture, but the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence among his people. And from this time, um, from up to this time, that God's 
Ark of the Covenant and his presence had dwelt in a tabernacle. A tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place, which was fine when they were wandering through the wilderness. It was fine as they were conquering the land. It was fine as they were getting things established. But now the kingdom is firmly established. David is not going anywhere. The kingdom's not in danger of being conquered. The Philistines have now been quieted down. All the enemies have been quieted down. David is already kind of put to peace. Moab and Ammon, the Philistines, and there is peace. Everything is settled. And David says, you know, instead of having a temporary dwelling place, let's build a house for God to put for the Ark of the Covenant. And so it looks like God's presence is permanently dwelling among the people. And so as he's eating some fried chicken, mashed potatoes, he just comes up with this idea. Nathan says, man, that's a great idea. Oh man, I could see that. And he's all excited and they're just having a good time of fellowship and they're just have enjoying this right here. And Nathan says uh, with his piece of chicken and mashed potato. Now you understand I'm reading that in there. I'm from the South. We have mashed potatoes and and chicken for everything. So they're having a good time. And Nathan says to the king, go do all that's in thy heart for the Lord is with thee. Nathan says, man, that is a great idea. I think we should go for it. Let's do that. And by the way, we see something here. They're excited. They're trying to do everything with God uh, for the Lord. They're, they want to do good things. In fact, they want to do great things. But sometimes when we have a desire to do good things or we have a desire to do great things, it still may not be what God wants for us. That the good is the enemy of the best. The best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. But they're excited for it. And Nathan goes back to his place and he's rejoicing. Man, I had a good time with David today. That was a good idea. Oh God, don't you think that'd be a great idea? And Nathan gets ready to go to bed. Well, in the middle of the night, God wakes up Nathan and says, Hey, I want to talk to you. Okay, you're the boss. I'm, I'm your servant. What do we have me to do? And notice what happens in verse number four. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shall thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent in a tabernacle. And in all the places that I've walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word to any of the tribes of Israel to whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build ye not me a house of cedar? Now let me pause. What he is speaking about here is that God says, I get, David did this unprompted. I didn't command David. I didn't order David this. David came up with this idea on his own. God didn't tell anyone to build him a house. That wasn't something that God had commanded. In fact, God, may I say, is really pleased with David that David thought of this on his own unprompted. Do you know most of the time we have a hard time just obeying what God's given to us, much less have enough ambition to try to do above and beyond what God has given us to do? Here David's so in love with the Lord and he's got such a great relationship. He just wants to do something for God just to be a blessing. Not just because he's told to, not because he's have to, not because he's expected to. He just said, I love God. I wonder what I could do to be a blessing to God today. I know. Let's just build him a house. I, instead of being at a tabernacle, let's build him a house. And as God's take it, talking to Nathan, he says, David did this unprompted. I didn't tell him to do this. David just wants to be a blessing to me. He loves me that much. He wants to figure something out to help me out. And so God says, because of this, um, I, I want to do something for David. 
I'm going to do something for David. Tell, tell David this. And so he goes on and gives this history of, uh, notice in verse 8. And now therefore, so shall thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat. Now remember, David, when he started off, was nothing but a shepherd in a field. He was small and ruddy. He was the runt of the litter. In fact, nobody thought he would ever amount to anything. When they started to look for a king, they all over, they didn't even ask David to come in to be interviewed. They left him out in the field. Ah, he never. But yet God took him out from the field and made him king over Israel. God says, I did that for him. And David loves me and he's responding back to me in kind. And they go on and he says, I've given him peace and everything is going well. And now I want to do something for David. I want to do something for him. And so with this, God now starts to talk about the provisions of the Davidic covenant, which is the second thing. So that was the setting that David just wanted to do something to be a blessing of the Lord, wanted to do something for God. And he came up with a great idea. Now God's going to say, no, 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 we're going to do that later. We're going to have someone else do that. But that's what prompted it. That David just said, I want to be a blessing to God without trying to be obedient, without being prompted, without being begged. What can I do to be a blessing to God? And so God says, you know, I want to be a blessing back to David. This is what a great relationship that they have. It's almost like good friends who don't keep score. Well, you bought me five dinners. I owe you four. Or, you know, you bought, I bought you three sodas. How come you don't pay me back? Now, they're like, <laughs> they don't keep score. I'd be a blessing to you. I have no problems with it. You know, I love you. I just want to be a help to you. And God says, I love you too. I want to do something for you. That's a great relationship. And that should be the relationship we should have with God. You know, Jesus wants us to be his friends. Jesus talks about in the gospel record of John chapter uh, 15, that he says, you are no more servants, but are my friends. What does that mean? Well, that means that God wants us to be at the place where we're not told what to do, but rather he wants to have that friendship with us and share with us what he's doing. And we do it because we love him because we're his friend. God wants to have a personal relationship with us and it's demonstrated in the life of David. Now we come to the provisions of the Davidic covenant. So God's talking to Nathan. He says, Nathan, I want you to go tell David this. This is what I want to do for him. And he begins to list what we call the Davidic covenant. Notice with me in verse number 12. And when thy days, this, Nathan is supposed to address this to David, so thy is David. So when thy days be fulfilled, that means when David is dead, and thou shalt sleep with thy father. So David, after you're dead, this is what I'm going to do for you. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, what he's saying is that I'm going to set someone up who is going to be biologically related to you, not a replacement, not a stepchild, not someone who's going to come in, not a proxy, but someone who's going to come after you. In fact, the language of this seems to indicate that it is a child not born yet. Now, at this time, David already has kids. He has Amnon, he has Absalom, he has Adonijah, he has a son that's already passed away, he already has children. But God seems to indicate that there's going to be a child that's not born yet that's going to proceed out of you. He's going to come and I'm going to use him to do some things. Notice with me, if you don't mind, by the way, that child is Solomon. We're familiar with that. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 13. And he, Solomon, shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
Then notice verse 14. And I will be his father and he will be my son. He says, David, I want him to have the same relationship that you have with me. David, I consider you my son. I want your son to come after you to be my son. You know, God doesn't have spiritual grandchildren. God wants everyone to be born again into his family for themselves. Everyone can be a child of God by accepting Jesus Christ as their personal savior, recognizing that they're a sinner because of their sin. They've offended a holy, righteous God, but that Jesus died for them and they personally accept Christ as their savior. There are no grandchildren in heaven. Every child must personally accept Christ for themselves and be born again into God's family. He says, I will be his father. He's going to have the same relationship with me. He's not going to be a spiritual grandchild. He's going to be like my son. I'm going to be his father. In fact, notice with a brand new father, we get more than just fire insurance. Verse 14, for I will be his father and he will be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. What he's speaking about is that because I'm his father, in the South, we use this term, when he misbehaves, I'll take him outside the woodshed. Do you know a good parent uh, chastises their child? The Bible speaks about that, that a parent who loves their child will spank their child. If you are one of, <clears throat> if you are one of God's children, he will chastise you. He will punish you. He will correct your behavior. He will not allow you to continue in sin. That's part of having a loving father. Notice as it goes on. Verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I put before thee. He says, I'm not going to do what I did with Saul. Saul, I took his inheritance and gave it to you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep your family intact and continuing on for this promise. Notice verse 16, and thy house in thy kingdom shall be established forever. Thy throne shall be established forever. Here David's house, throne and kingdom will be established forever. God is making a promise to David that he is going to have someone that is blood related to him who is going to sit on the throne of the kingdom and rule that kingdom forever. Now we know according to the Bible that the fulfillment of that is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as the fulfillment of that, came the first time not to rule the world. He came the first time to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He died, was buried, put on a borrowed tomb, rose again the third day, and ascended to heaven, and where he's a living forevermore. But he has not come down on this earth to establish his kingdom. That is a future event, and that is going to be fulfilled in what we call the millennial kingdom. That in the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, where Jesus Christ will physically, literally, and bodily rule on this earth a kingdom that has been established and Jesus Christ had to be blood related to David. And he is. The gospel records do this. So when David receives the news, how does he respond? So Nathan goes and makes an appointment with David. Hey David, I had to talk with God last night about what we were talking about yesterday. Oh great, what's happening? He says, God doesn't want you to build the house, but because you love him and you prove that you loved him and 
he's going to do something for you. He's going to establish your kingdom. You're going to have a son that's going to rule and your kingdom's going to rule forever. And you're going to have a descendant who's going to rule and reign on this earth forever. Now, David just goes, wow, I wasn't doing anything to get something from God. I was just doing it because I wanted to be a blessing. And God turns around and blesses me. Notice David's response in verse 17. According to all these words and according to this vision, so Nathan spake uh, unto David. So he reported everything that, that God told him. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. Notice that phrase. He sat before the Lord. This carries the idea that David was not in a hurry. He was going to sit down and be patient and spend time with God. Here he's so thankful for what God is doing. He's not doing a hurry up, thank you so much, and then rushing off. He's taking his time with God. God, you are so amazing. In fact, as you read through this prayer, you just see the humbleness of David and you're just saying, wow, God, you, you're so amazing. I wasn't expecting this. I'm humbled that you would establish this forever. God, you're just such a great God. And he just starts to thank God and admit how great and wonderful God is. But there's something specific I want you to point out to in verse number 24. Notice with me in verse 24 and 25. Thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. Do you know what he's doing right there? is he's remembering that God had made an Abrahamic covenant and that God had promised a people forever. You know what David is doing is he's referring back to scripture. Remember that all the three covenants are built off of the Abrahamic covenant. That God had given the seedbed, the foundation to the, all the promises in the Abrahamic covenant, which basically said, I will give you a people forever. But with that, he also said, I'm going to give you a land. And he built off of more information in what we call the Palestinian or the land covenant. Now, not only is God going to have a people forever, the Hebrew people, God is always going to keep track of them. And the, he, the purpose of the tribulation is to bring the Hebrew people back to himself. And then once they come back to himself, God is going to establish a millennial kingdom because he has this people forever. Now he wants to have a ruler over this people that he set aside. And that is going to come from the lineage of David, that Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to sit on the throne and rule over this people forever that God promised to preserve. David is going back and saying, I remember you made a promise there and I'm understanding that this is building off of that promise. So we could see these, these covenants was still very important that God is building off and David continues to think. Now, if you don't mind it, let's just kind of hit the prophecy of the Davidic covenant, basically how it is fulfilled. Notice if you don't mind, let's turn Acts chapter 2. There are so many New Testament passages that refer to this in the gospel record of Luke chapter 1 verses 31 and 33 when God is talking to uh, Mary and he's telling Mary that guess what you're going to have a child and this child is going to be the fulfillment of that Davidic providence. He is going to sit on the throne and you're going to call his name Jesus. And Mary's like, okay, great, wonderful, wow. Could you imagine being told that you're going to be used to be the fulfillment of these promises made to David, made to Moses, made to Abraham, and that you're going to be the vessel to see that? Wow. 
But if you don't mind, maybe I could take us to a different passage. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and don't, as Peter is preaching, he is going to go back and he is going to reference this Davidic covenant. So as Peter is preaching through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he stands up before a huge crowd of thousands and begins to preach a message. And out of all the things that he could preach on, he goes back to the Davidic covenant. Notice with me Acts chapter 2 and verse number 29. Acts 2 and verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us, with us unto this day. Let's pause. So as David is now addressing the, uh, Peter is now addressing the crowd, he says, let's lay a foundation. The patriarch David, he's dead. He's buried over there. We know he's dead. Okay, he's in, he's in the grave, his body's there, he's dead. Notice what he says in verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had swore an oath unto him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. Now notice this. Here it's speaking about David, that David knew being a prophet. What does that mean? That there was a lot of times that God would give David information about the future. For example, you have Psalm 22 that speaks about the suffering Savior, the Christ up dying on the cross. Whereas the <laughs> Whereas the, historic, um, the gospel records historically show Jesus dying on the cross, Psalm 22 shows what Christ is going through emotionally while he's on the cross. A thousand years before Jesus died on the cross that God used David to pin this to speak about it, clearly speaking about that. Psalm 23, it shows Christ as the shepherd that uh, Jesus is the good shepherd I shall not want. And through that wonderful psalm. And Psalm 24, it shows who is this king of glory? It shows Jesus Christ as the soon coming king. We have a trinity of psalms right in a row that are all speaking about Christ years before it is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And those aren't the only ones. There are many messianic psalms written by David found in the psalms that speak about this coming Christ years before it happened. And so Peter, who has the uh, hindsight of history, he's now writing at this time after Christ has ascended. He says, therefore, being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn an oath unto him. So there are two things. God had given David prophecies about what would happen and God had given David a promise, an oath, a covenant, which we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, that's exactly what God had said. Notice this, according to the flesh, Jesus Christ wasn't spiritually related to David. He was physically blood related to David. As God had said. And we can see the fulfillment of that. Matthew chapter 1. And in the gospel record of Luke. Through the genealogy of Mary. That Jesus Christ inherited the throne. Uh, through his stepfather Joseph. Who was blood related to David. And he was blood related through David. Through the line of Mary. We see that in the gospel record of Luke. Therefore knowing 
are therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn unto him an oath unto him and of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh that he, David, or that God would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Remember Christ where is the word Messiah. And so in here, God says, I'm going to give Christ, this Messiah, to sit on the throne. And David knew it. And David makes reference to it. So knowing that background, notice with me verse 31. He, David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Notice this, David spoke of the resurrection of Christ. David lived a thousand years before Jesus bodily walked on this earth. And yet David spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. You say, what's important in this? Now, this last phrase is important. Neither let his flesh see corruption. In the Hebrew mind, decomposition of a body did not begin until day number four. That's corruption. And so here it's giving a prophecy that Jesus would be raised before the fourth day. He was raised on the third day before corruption, before decomposition would start to set in. That way God's holy one would still be pure because no corruption had set in. That here, David had even said how long Jesus would be in the ground. Three days. A thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth. Here, David's already saying how long Jesus is going to be in the ground and that he would be raised up. That's pretty powerful. That this information was known a thousand years before Jesus walked on this earth. And here's Peter saying, let me show you in the Old Testament what just happened a couple days ago. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Notice as it goes on, verse number 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereon we are all witnesses. Hey, this happened a couple of days ago. We all saw Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. There were 500 who saw Jesus raised all at once. He's been walking around with us for 40 days. And just the other day, he raised up his hands and went up to heaven. But he was here. We saw that this was true. Everyone's talking about this. I mean, if someone raised from the dead, wouldn't you expect the whole town to be talking about it? Absolutely. Everyone's talking about this. And he's saying, this is what the Bible said was going to happen. Aren't you glad that God's able to write these things down beforehand? And he's even saying, who said this? David said this. Notice with me in verse 33. Therefore, so because of all of this information, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Now, Jesus had told his disciples in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 that Jesus was going to head up to heaven. And then when he got there, he was going to send the Holy Spirit back down, which is another Christ. That word another means another of the same sort. That the Holy Spirit is just as good as having God the Son here in bodily. Why? Because because he is God. And he says, look, now the evidence is, is I'm filled with the spirit and I'm preaching this message. And you could tell it's not from me. This is God that's saying this and that God's preaching this. And this is evidence. Look at what God is doing. Notice with me in verse 34. Now for David is not ascended unto heavens. Now remember what he said before when he started off this message, David's buried. 
It was not David who ascended up to heaven. It was Christ that ascended up to heaven. Now remember that David hasn't got his redeemed body yet. That happens at the rapture. So David's body is still over there. Jesus was in his body and ascended to heaven. So David was not speaking of himself. He was speaking of Christ ascending up to heaven. He is now at the right hand of the Father. Verse 34. For David is not ascended into heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on the right my right hand. So the Lord, this is God, said to my Lord. So David is speaking and says that God said to my Lord. Lord. Now, in most societies, when there is a patriotic society, the elder is held to most esteem. He is the master of the house, even telling his children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren what to do. It's his law, his will, that type of thing. Well, the same thing with a Jewish society. But here is David, who is king, most revealed, has a great name. He says, God said to my boss, my Lord, sit at the right hand of the Father. Well, David's not the one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So who was David speaking about? Jesus. Jesus is this Lord. This Lord here is master. And of course, Jesus Christ is going to be our king. For David is not ascended to heavens, but saith himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy uh, foes a footstool. And then he's going to go on and preach more about Jesus. And then 3000 people are going to get saved during this message. Why? Because he's referring to the promise of David. David talked about Jesus and that notice again, David refers to Jesus as his Lord, his master, his boss. In the millennial kingdom, historical David is going to be resurrected. And we have a whole message just on historical David being in the millennial kingdom. But do you know that David is not the boss of the millennial kingdom? Jesus is. And here David is saying, Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. He's my boss. Now, what do we do with this? How do we apply this? In the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ is going to be king without a doubt. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means master, that he is my boss, that he's the one who has the authority and the right to tell me what to do. Now, let's just do a logical question. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is going to be your Lord and master and you will have to obey him? Then the question is, why not start now? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? You know, there's a lot of people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And praise the Lord for that. But there are some people who have been saved who have never purposely said, I'm going to allow Jesus to be the boss of me. I'm going to allow Jesus to tell me what to do. They still have a hard time fighting against authority. Some authority said, read your Bible. I don't see why I have to read my Bible. I'll do it if I want to. Okay, well, you might as well start obeying Jesus now. You know, Jesus speaks to us through his word. What does the Bible have to say about this? You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, to forsake not the assembling of ourselves. Do you know that when God 
gives authority to his word. It's just if Jesus Christ was standing before us. So can you imagine Jesus Christ standing before us and say, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I want you to be in church as often as you can unless you're providentially hindered. And someone look at Jesus right in the eyeball. No, I got something better to do. Can you imagine doing that? Well, anytime we see something that's said in the Bible and we refuse to do that, that's exactly what we're doing is we're rebelling against the authority of God. If God says it here, we are supposed to obey it as if he told us from his own lips. This is how much authority this has. And the way that we treat this Bible is how we treat the authority of God. Let me give an example. Church service is over. Oh, I'm glad that's over with. And you toss the Bible in the back of the car. Shows what you think about the authority of God, right? Is this important? You know why a lot of people have a hard time reading their Bible? It's because they don't want God to have authority over them. They don't want to hear what God wants them to do. I don't want to find out what God wants me to do. I want to live my life however I want. And so as long as I don't read my Bible, I'm going, na, 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 na. Who is your boss? Jesus Christ will be the king of the millennial. He will be our Lord and master. Right now, if you believe that, you should put into practice now that he should be your Lord and master now. That he has the right and the authority to tell you what to do. Even if you don't want to do it, are you willing to submit to his authority? This is the issue that we now have. Now, we're speaking this on a Wednesday night, not on a Sunday morning. We're speaking to Christians here. We're speaking to people who have already accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But the struggle that most of us will have, who is our authority. Do we allow Jesus to tell us what to do? Most people like a Burger King religion. They like to have it their way. They like to pick and choose. But if Jesus is boss, if he's our Lord, if he's our master, then we should be willing to do whatever he tells us to do. In fact, we should have the heart like David that says, he's my friend. I don't have any problems doing this. I want to be a blessing to my friend. What can I do? And looking for, what can I do to be a blessing to my master today? What can I do to be a blessing to my friend? So many people, we all work with them. Maybe you're one of those two. That if you get done with your job early, the last thing you do is go find your boss and say, what else can I do? You go hide in the closet until closing time and they go, hoo-hoo, no one saw me. If we truly believe Jesus, our Lord and master, and we love him. When we get done with what he has given us to do, we go back and say, what else do you want me to do? What else can I do for you? And we have no problems going back. Not only is he our authority, but we should have that same relationship David had and say, I love my master. I love my friend. What else can I do to honor you? What else can I do to be a blessing to you? And so, whereas one day in the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ will clearly be King of kings and Lord of lords. Why wait? It'd be good practice now. If you truly believe that he's king, we should treat him as king and Lord and master today. So, dear friend, what is it that you are struggling with? I understand we're speaking of sinners. There's not a single one of us who are completely obedient to God, what God has given us to do. No one is pious enough, including your preacher. 
you say, ah, oh, yeah, because we're all growing. We all have things what we say, I don't care, God, I want this. You can have everything, but not this room. You could tell me to do anything, but not this. And we struggle. Maybe it's the idea of prayer. Lord, I know that you want me to pray more, but I just don't feel like I could go carve out some time to go talk to you. Are we treating him as Lord and master? Lord, I know that you told me to be a witness to everyone, but let me tell you, I really struggle passing out tracks. I know that's the very least I could do, but I just uh, don't ask me to do that. What is it that you are currently struggling with? What is the place where you don't really want Jesus to have authority over your life? Maybe it's the idea of doing work. Lord, don't tell my boss to give me more things to do. I just want to just coast out the rest of my day. Do you have a hard time obeying your boss? Do you get mad when your boss gives you something to do? What is it that you are currently struggling with? I, again, you say, how do I know I'm struggling? Because you're human. We're all human. We all have areas that we have to learn to put under God's authority. What is that area tonight? And are you willing to say, God, I willingly place this subject, this area, this obedience under you, and I allow you to be my master, my Lord, my King, especially in this specific area. It's one thing to do a general thing, but nothing is ever dynamic till it's first specific. Let's pick an area. What is that area that you are currently present and struggling with? And just ask God, maybe it's an area you said, Lord, I can't give to you. Can you at least say, God, can you give me the grace to surrender it anyways? Can you help me to surrender that area even though I don't want to? Would you be brave enough to say that? God will help you if you allow. If you don't mind with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you wouldn't mind to stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.